filmmaking always changes. <laughs> you know what what they want out there and the way they do it always changes. It's so different, you know, in in the eyes of everybody that it's everybody's feedback, you know, is is useful. And you never you never make it. <laughs> That's the other thing too that I think a lot of people that aren't in filmmaking they're like, oh, you know, have, has she made it? And you're like, you don't. You just keep learning. You do it because you love it. And some people will think you made it, and some people won't. <laughs> That's just how it is. <laughs> Welcome to Best of Fest. I'm Leslie LaPage, the director of the La Femme International Film Festival, and this is a podcast for people who are interested in advancing their career in TV and film and learning all the dirty little secrets of Hollywood. My guest today is Rayanne Giles, and she's an awesome filmmaker. She has been in the La Femme International Film Festival. She's a, an alum of ours, but uh, she is an award-winning filmmaker. She received her uh, MFA from UCLA's School of theater, film, and television in screenwriting. She has a winning digital series called Playdates Anonymous and Stay at Home Mom, which she wrote, produced, and starred in, streaming on Amazon and the Comedy Dynamics Network. Her directorial uh, debut was in 2020 with the feature film Angel. But really, really interesting is that she has degrees in molecular biology and neuroscience psychology from the University of Colorado. So why on earth would you want to come into entertainment with these <laughs> wonderful degrees? Let's let's just talk about that for a second. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I've always been interested in entertainment. It was what I wanted to do since I was a little, little girl. I and of course, I had parents that were like, no, you should be a doctor or a lawyer. So um, I kind of naturally went that science direction in undergrad. And then I did go get my law degree in law school. Um, and then I went straight to entertainment when I my education was done. And I went after what I really wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So That's awesome. So have you incorporated some of that knowledge into scripts or are you planning on somehow utilizing that specialty? Yeah, you know, I absolutely have. Um, it's funny how it does pop up. So when I was at UCLA, I did um, a program called from the Sloan Foundation where you compete to write a film that's based on real science. Um, I did it for two years. The first year I was one of the finalists and the second year I actually won the competition. And so everything, I worked with a PhD scientist and I wrote, I wrote a female driven comedy actually that was basically, basically based on genes and like 20 years on the future. It was called Designer Kids. So 20 years in the future, if we were to actually design our babies, what it would be like. So it was kind of like a bad moms meets Gattaca, if you can envision that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my science did come up, you know, it has come up with writing films that have to do with real science. And then I think my law degree definitely comes in handy when I start producing and when I'm you know, working with contracts and working with SAG and just, I think just the overall producing skills of having to run a business. Cause you know, every time you make a film, it's kind of like your new little business you're running. So it's definitely, I've definitely found use for it. Well, in some capacity, in some capacity, <laughs> and I'm sure you will uh, put more of that to use as, you know, your uh, career furthers down the path. So let's talk about, um, you, your first kind of touch into that, the, the film and television world was through screenwriting. So 
how does that work for you? And, and, and then how did that kind of launch into defaulting producing or directing or this hybrid you've become? Well, I actually entered entertainment as an actor. So I started acting probably almost 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. I was doing a lot of commercial. I started in San Diego. I was doing lots of commercials and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I did a TV series called Hacienda Heights when I was in my early twenties. Um, and then I slowly got into writing. I was living in Hawaii for like six months and there's not a whole lot of acting opportunities out there. Right. So I started writing and then I eventually applied to UCLA and I went into their MFA program and it was something that I decided, um, I started having kids. And so I also knew being on set long days with newborns really wasn't going to work out. And so I, that's kind of when I started writing. Um, and then, yeah, and then I went to UCLA and then once I was at UCLA in writing, I took producing classes and just kind of ventured out into other areas, um, of entertainment. And I learned that I like to produce and that I love writing and I love acting. And then just recently I learned that I love directing. So just tried a little bit of everything. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. That's, that's kind of how the hybrids are, you know, born. So let's talk about your first project. How did that go for you when you had created that first project and then started soliciting that in the festival circuit? So my first project was called Stay at Home Mom. Mm -hmm. um, I originally wrote it as a half hour TV series. And then I had an instructor that said, hey, you should try and make this into like a web series or, you know, short snack size content right. sort of thing to put out there. So um, I did that just from scratch. I kind of started, you know, I wrote it into small little two to three minute episodes. And then I gathered a cast and I gathered a crew and we shot it. And then from there, I didn't really know anything about the festival circuit. Um, and I just started picking a lot of people's brains, reading a lot mm -hmm. of different stuff on it, started submitting to a lot of um, web fests that were out there. And lo and behold, you know, we got into a handful of them and started traveling to different places to these web fests. And um, yeah, it just kind of went from there. And it was a great, it was such a great experience because there was never, there was never a goal of, oh, I'm going to make this and I want it distributed and I want it in these festivals. It was just, it was an experiment to be behind the camera. And because I'd always been in front of the camera. And so that experiment just kind of, launched into so many other opportunities and really showed me what a collaborative nature filmmaking is, you know, to be able to, I think that's the greatest thing about creating your own stuff is you really learn how to dabble in everything because you have to, because you don't have the budget to hire, you know, every single department in a big department. Well, since this was kind of your first venture into it, did you think that this was possibly going to be used as a proof of concept or did that come in afterwards or was that not even you know a thought in your head originally it wasn't even a thought originally it was just a i want to know what it's like to put this together mm -hmm. and to make something mm -hmm. and then once we had it made um i was getting really good feedback on it and so people were saying no you should submit this into festivals you know and then by doing that and getting it screened and meeting more people at these festivals and collaborating with other people and networking with other people i got a manager out of that first project and then my manager was the one that started taking it around and eventually it got distributed through the comedy dynamics network um and streamed on their channel on a variety of they're on all the different platforms and so yeah it, i mean i never know it was just an experiment at first you know just to do it and then i kind of figured i've always you know you always kind of learn people always say oh your first project it's just 
you're going to throw it in the trash. And so you got to make it, make it to like 10. So in my head, that was kind of what I was thinking. I was like, oh, you know, it's just an experiment. But I was so grateful when it, you know, it did as well as it did. Yeah. Well, and it also helped secure you representation. So how did so how did that come about? Because that that's a question that a lot of filmmakers listening in um, want to know how that works out or how that can happen. Well, I think I mean, I think how it normally works out is you just keep you keep creating and you keep doing your best and somebody sees it and they will come to you. You can, you know, of course, solicit people and that's in, you know, the talent industry more. That's kind of how I originally started submitting headshots and resumes to commercial agents and working my way from there. But with this, um, I had one of my classmates was also in, he was in the producing program and he was working at a management company at the time. He's still one of my managers and he saw it in class. And then, you know, he asked me, Hey, do you have representation? And I was currently looking for a manager. And so I met with them and they're voila, and they're still my managers today. And so I think it's just a matter of making your stuff and getting it seen, you know, getting it out there to be seen because when other people see it and if it's if it's good enough and it's it's ready, then they'll come to you and, you know, they'll ask you if you're represented. Well, moving from that project on to your second project. So how did that mm -hmm. come about? You 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 went through the festival circuit. You've you've now had this peer take you on in the management company. And then you're now going on to your next step, like a, a project that isn't supposed to be like the throw out project, right? The, the project you create out of passion. So so we did two seasons of the stay at home mom. So we did, you know, another another batch of episodes, so to speak. And then I decided that I was going to do something actually made for snack size content, which it in at the time I thought, oh, I can do I can do a whole bunch of episodes on a budget. I'm going to keep it in one location. Um, it was called Playdates Anonymous. It was I used some of the moms that were in stay at home mom. So it kind of spun off from that. Um, I am a mom. So that's why all this, you know, content has to do with mom stuff. And, you know, it's just kind of the world I'm in. And so I, I designed it just for snack size content, which is funny because it worked in the sense that just the production value of it and the storytelling of it worked really well. Um, but it cost just as much. I thought I was going to get like a ton of episodes out of, you know, one location and everything. And I learned that that wasn't the case. Yeah. So we did the same. We, you know, put it into more festivals. We got to premiere um, at Hollyweb, which was at Universal City, um, City Walk at the AMC, which was a very exciting place to premiere your work. And then we went on to distribute through Amazon. So now you can watch Playdates Anonymous on Amazon, Amazon Prime. Yeah, as well. How, how was that experience uh, you, working with the Amazon platform for once this was really launched? Um, it was really great. So with the first project, it was through the network. So the del deliverables were sent to them and they you know, did all the work. With this one, we did it more independently, working directly with Amazon. Um, and so they have everything laid out very well for the filmmaker, I felt like. You know, everything Thing was very straightforward as far as what they needed and as far as getting the content out there it is very professional you know so you know I was hiring somebody to do um, different parts of it you know to for all their deliverables but it was it was great I mean I think they're a really easy straightforward well put together company that's they're easy to work with now did you once you had it on the platform did you do a lot of social media push and funneling people to Amazon to try and get those unique 
uh, likes and unique views up? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's really about finding, you know, your audience, first of all, you know, your audience. And so go, I mean, you running Facebook ads is great. Um, running like Google ads is great. If you can do just your own social media push, your own, having your own pages, you know, for all the social media pages for that particular show, um, tagging everybody involved so that they go and share with everybody else. And then really finding those those groups that are going to watch your content. So for mine, it was more of the parents and the new parents and um, going to their pages and, you know, interacting with their pages and so that your work is shown and interacted with their pages. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's some great people that have been in our cast, too, that really push the stuff. And I think also finding people for your cast that have a good social media following um, it helps. You know, it really does help at the end of the day because they can reach out to more people as well. On that second project, was that a focus for you? Did you did you go out specifically looking for actors that had a big social media following because you knew you were potentially going to go to that platform? You know, for that project, not necessarily. We did that more so for the feature for Angel. But for that project, we... Um, it was, I was still kind of in that experimental phase where I'm like, well, I don't really know what's going to happen with this. I want to make it for snack size content. Um, and we did have a couple people that, that were already on the stay at home mom show that had a good following. So we continued to use, to use them. But I think whenever I'm casting, it's like, I keep it in mind, but I'm so about like who, who fits that character, you know, and who really just embodies that character even more so than the social media following. I feel like that's like a second layer, you know, for me personally. So I, I tend to just go towards what I think is going to make the content that much stronger and the story that much truer and stronger. And then if it's really between, you know, the blonde or the brunette type of thing, then sometimes, you know, I will like, okay, who has more followers and it does come, it comes into play. I mean, you can't, I'm like, I'd be lying if I say it didn't come into play, but with playdates, um, you know, we did have a couple of people that had good followings and, but really at the end of the day, they were hired because they were just fantastic actors. I mean, Angela Relucio, she was in Angel, which was screened in your festival. She, um, was my, my supporting actress. And then she was also in playdates. And she is just a phenomenal actress, and she does have a good following because she's a great actress, you know. So I think the the good following a lot of times just comes hand in hand with the great talent anyways. Well, you took her and moved her into your feature. So when you got to your feature, now you've had a successful uh, first experience, successful second experience, and now you're going into that, that leap, right, which was Angel. So... The two first two were self-funded, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, so how did you handle uh, casting and funding on that second uh, or that third project, that first feature? Yeah. So funding for that project ended up pretty much being another self-funded project, but with a lot more outlets of borrowing money and taking money from winning awards. I've, you know, won cash awards from my other projects that I've kept in a savings account to be able to make the next project. So a lot of things came from that. As far as casting, uh, casting Angela, I was, we did offer her that role first to see if she would take it because I knew she was such a strong actress. And um, the type of material that I were do doing for that character was just so heavy. I mean, there's a scene that is 
in this movie theater room and you know the story is about this girl remembering a miscarriage and a pregnancy lost in her past and this footage comes up on the screen that her character needs to react to. And when we filmed it, she had never seen the footage before. She had read the script, but hadn't seen the footage. So we were hoping to get somebody's real reaction to the footage because the footage was also real. It wasn't, um, it wasn't a narrative. It was from a docu-reality that we had been making. And she was, you know, I just, I, I knew I needed to get somebody that was just so, genuine in their work and then and just so polished in their work because it was going to be a very emotional scene and you know she was phenomenal and you know when she wanted to do it we were just so grateful and we were just like thank you for wanting to do this and then she blew their socks off when she did it I mean she just she just won best supporting actress last night at the international christian film festival that she took home for that scene. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, it's a phenomenal movie. But how did you come up with the idea for this? Had this been incubating in your head for a while? You know, what's crazy is it naturally happened. So I wrote this film about a year and a half, about a year before I had actually gotten pregnant. Just something brand new. I was always doing comedy and I decided to do something more, a little more multi-genre. There is some comedy in it in the beginning, you know, and then it becomes a very dramatic real story. Um, so I wrote the story and then I became pregnant. I put the story aside for a little bit and we started shooting a docu-reality series on the pregnancy. Mm. Um, and then halfway through the pregnancy, we lost the pregnancy. And then I, it occurred to me, I was like, gosh, you know, I have all this footage, this real life footage of a family going through a pregnancy. And then I wrote this movie that's happening to me now. You know, it was just crazy. Now I'm afraid to write anything bad happened because I'm afraid it's going to happen to me again. I'm only writing about winning the lottery happy and like things. happy things. <laughs> and so um, I was like, gosh, you know, I bet we should make this. Like, I just felt like this movie has to be made now because now I'm experiencing it as a real person. And I thought it would be really interesting to use all of my the real footage that we had as my character's memories of what had happened during the pregnancy and that's what we we went ahead and made kind of a combo of it so all the flashbacks in the movie are the actual footage of when i was pregnant with that pregnancy taking that that tremendous loss and incorporating it and utilizing into art was a very daring thing looking back at that uh, what was your state of mind on did you have to compartmentalize this in order to achieve this end result of this wonderful movie you know I mean in some ways I think it was very cathartic I went after it right away because we lost the baby in September and we filmed in February and so I think I just I dove into the work because I think I was so I was so scarred by the whole thing I needed you know, I needed to create, I think Toni Morrison has this great quote that says something like about now is the time to make art when you're suffering. Right. And so I think I went into that and just, I think I needed to, and I needed to tell the, tell the story. Now, a year and a half later, I look at it and go, wow, <laughs> like, what? like, what was I doing? That was like, I mean, I literally had like 50 people in my you know, in my house filming this one scene where I'm crying and I'm reacting and I'm trying to keep it together, but it's hard because it was real and it had really happened. Um, and now I look back at it and, and it is it, it hard and the editing was hard. I had to watch it so many times, but I really just felt like it happened to me for a reason. 
and I am a storyteller and so I wanted to put it out there because I think so many women go through this and it's not talked about a lot and for whatever reason I had filmed the pregnancy and for whatever reason I had put myself on tape right after I lost the baby and just let it out and so I felt like this was just something very real that you know should be shared out there because I thought you know it could help other people and make an awareness of this and since then I have some very good news in the process at the end of the editing I ended up getting pregnant again I had a second miscarriage and then I ended up getting pregnant again after thinking that I couldn't being told I couldn't get pregnant anymore and I actually just had my rainbow baby two weeks ago um, just she was born on May 5th <laughs> and so during this whole time I couldn't watch the movie <laughs> I mean we when we premiered at your wonderful festival I had to like I was nine weeks pregnant I was completely scared I was gonna lose the baby again and I didn't really watch it when we had it on I couldn't I mean I could watch parts of it but the hard parts I would have to step out of the room <laughs> and then I would come back and so it's it's hard it can be really hard to watch but the whole story together now I'm just I'm so happy that I shared it because I think as filmmakers that's what at the end of the day that's what it's all about you know it's all about finding these stories in life that other people do share and that other people can relate to and I mean that's how you that's how you speak to humanity right that's how you help other people that's how we all kind of connect and if you're able to tell these stories you know I think it's such a such a gift to be able to tell them have you had that kind of response off of uh, people who have seen this film women specifically that have walked out of the theater going oh my gosh that's that's my life or I can relate to that I have you know I have had so many emails and so many messages from people that thank me for sharing it, you know, and that just say thank you for for sharing this. Um, even after the fact, there have been people that saw it and you know had never had a miscarriage, and since then have had miscarriages and immediately messaged me or called me and said, "Hey, you know, this just happened to me. Thank you for sharing your story." And um, yeah, there's been a enormous response. I mean, just even even when I had the miscarriage and I had put it out there, I was so surprised that probably within a 24-hour period, I had a hundred responses of people saying this happened to me or my aunt or my sister or somebody, you know, and it was, I think it really just has given people an opportunity to talk about it and to be open about it and because you don't always feel like you can be open about stuff like that and, and you don't always want to. It's hard, you know, you you kind of need people that that know how you feel in order to talk about it. Well, as you were taking this, you know, really sensitive material, this this wonderful feature around into the festival circuit, what was your mentality on um, your strategy? Or did you have a strategy when you were looking at the festivals on where you wanted to place your 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 film child? Right. So first of all, I mean, I think. I think as we all do, we go for, you know, we throw a few into the top festivals like Sundance here and there. And then we and then we look at, of course, the more local festivals that we can get people into the seats. Um, however, it was very challenging because of COVID, because, you know, we I mean, we filmed we stopped filming two weeks, I believe, before we shut down. And so, one, we were just thankful that we got the footage. And then, two, when we were starting, after editing, we were starting to submit and then starting to see, you know, a lot of festivals shut down. And that's one thing I was so grateful for La Femme was you guys kept going. And it was amazing. And it was 
I was so grateful and we premiered with you guys. So we were so excited to still tell people, hey, you can still watch it. You know, I mean, you got to sit at home, but you can still watch it and you can still interact and be a part of this. So that was very exciting. Thank you so much for for doing that because we did get a lot of festival emails that unfortunately they couldn't do it, you know, and they had to skip that year. So I think that was an extra challenging part of getting into festivals this last year. And so what we did was in the beginning, you know, we submitted, we were kind of looking at the female film markets for sure. Um, some of the more faith-based ones because it does have a, a faith-based portion of it. And then and then just general, you know, our general film market as well. And a little, kind of sprinkled a little bit everywhere. And then we felt it was really hard to gauge where it was going to fit because so many festivals had to shut down. So we kind of took a break. I mean, we'd still submit, but we kind of took a break just in case, waiting for things to pick up. But now we've started submitting more again. And we just did the first in-person festival literally the last few days was in Orlando, Florida. And so, you know, it screened Friday there, and then we had the, we were nominated for three awards and took home one of them last night. Um, and then we're continuing to start to submit again. And we're finding that this film particularly fits well within the female genre and the faith-based genre. And so, yeah, I think it's really about finding what festivals take your type of work, you know, and your type of audience, because each festival seems to have, you know, their own types of, you know, that is something I say to new filmmakers all the time, you you really have to look at your content and see where it goes, because it may not apply to those top 10 festivals that we all know the names of. And it, it and and you may just be wasting your money sending your film there when you could utilize that to submit to two or three or four other festivals with that monetary, you know, uh, disbursement. So so really taking it from the marketing standpoint, you have to really match it with the right place and not just throw it up against like bubblegum. So did you go to Orlando? Did you go to the festival? Did you fly in? I did not go because I just had my baby and I didn't know my baby came a week early. But originally I hadn't planned on going because I knew I'd be one week postpartum. I didn't even know if I'd be out of the hospital yet. But we are two weeks postpartum. Um, we did have a representative go, though, that represented the film, which was really great. And I wanted to go so badly, but, you know, I'm nursing my baby and I, I haven't slept since May 4th. <laughs> so <laughs> I, Listen, every woman out there that's had a child knows what that feels like. That first four months <laughs> is ugly. You're exhausted and tired and you just can't get your head above water. <laughs> I know it is it is very challenging somehow like we've just been kind of I mean floating here and there and I'm so thankful for the people that for the people that did go to Orlando you know to represent the film and everyone helping us out <laughs> well now that you're kind of you know the sea legs for the festivals are starting to kind of come back again uh are you now thinking about distribution or what's your angle on distribution and this film how is that working out right so we've we've taken a few meetings um for distribution and we've kind of waited you know to see we want to continue the festival circuit because we wanted to one it's just nice to network i think every time you make something 
um, on your own. It's such a great calling card to use that to go meet more people. And I felt like I didn't really get the full use of this project because of COVID. And so we want to continue to keep it in festivals for a little bit longer here and give it its fair chance to, you know, be seen and to see what type of feedback we can get and more feedback we can get to see where it's going to be placed best. Um, we'd love to probably get it in some type of faith-based platform because I think that it would fit well there. That seems to be a lot of the, the feedback we're getting. But then we could also go the Amazon route again. That's, that's an option for us. Um, or, I mean, uh, who, who knows what else will, will come up. But, yeah, we're kind of we're keeping it open for a little bit just so we can continue to get out there and network with the project. And then we'll find a nice home for it probably the end of this year, beginning of next year, where everybody can see it then. Well, you know, the distribution are starting to open up, are, are, are looking for content. So this the timing, I think, is going to work out well for you. Uh, moving into your next project and, and utilizing your management company, are you having them uh, take this film around as also a calling card, having them focus more towards your next project? And tell us about what your next project is. Right. So since this project has been done, I've been doing a lot of writing. Um, and so I've been writing rom-com features. So maybe that will ha- that will come true for me this time. <laughs> rom-com. Rom-com. <laughs> I know. I'll inherit some beautiful vineyard and whatever. <laughs> in, um, in Italy. <laughs> yes, that's that's the hope. That's the next. Now I just write what I want to come true. But yeah, so no, I've been writing rom coms, and um, my management they do they do take things that I've done and use that as leverage for the next project. Take my scripts, shop them around. I recently have worked with an amazing producer that's given me some opportunities to take my rom-coms um, into development. So we have one that um, that is in development right now, and hopefully at some point we'll get to go into production. And I mean, I'm at this point I'm continually to write scripts and then continuing to think of the next passion project. I feel like, you know, that's always kind of what I do is there's the the work that you put out there to make your money and to continue, you know, your career part. And then there's always the part of me that's making the next passion project as well, because if you're not getting the next job, then at least you have your calling card for the next year that you can go around the festival circuits again, meet more people, get your next job. So I usually kind of have both going. So right now it's my, my feature scripts that are going. And then I have a little passion project idea go starting to circulate in my head of what's going to be filmed next for that next uh, that next independent passion project. Well, explain to us your your working method for chiseling out the structure of a of a script and and how you plot your script once you have this oh here's an idea here's the gem of what I want to do. At UCLA, they teach in a three act structure which I think is fantastic, and I always go by that. Um, And what I normally do is I normally really try to grasp my characters first, flesh out my characters, know, you know, who I'm working with and what their story is to tell. And then I normally do a very short type of outline in a three-act structure that basically I see if I have all my bullet points in each of my acts to make sure I have a solid story and a solid backbone to a story before I even go in to flesh anything out. And if I feel like the characters are strong, the story and the message is strong, and I have all the bullet points through three acts, then I'll move forward with it. And from there, 
I write, I usually outline and, um, by outlining, I go through each scene and I have, you know, where the scene's going to take place, what's going to happen in the scene. And I write out all my scenes within all the acts, making sure I hit every, you know, act break and everything that should happen in each act of that story. And then once the outline is all there, then I go in and then I start actually writing the dialogue. So the dialogue comes in last. And by then I kind of know my characters better and the voice of them. Um, and I'll, I'll go through and do one draft of it. And then after that, I do many drafts. And so I'll do a draft that's strictly for the main character just to get their voice in there. And then I'll do a draft that's strictly for uh, the supporting character to make sure their voice is distinctly different. You know, I'll do another draft to make sure that, you know, just cleaning it up every time. And I think that's the fun part. I think the first draft, it's hard because, you know, you're just trying to get it out there and you know it's not how it's going to be <laughs> exactly. It's just kind of, it's the starting point. And then every time you get to chisel it down, I think that's where the fun happens because that's where you really get to be very intricate about um, how your character speaks or what they do or different parts of the scene. You know, you can figure out what you really need and what you don't need because you learn that you pretty much don't need most of what you write down. And I think great storytelling really comes in how can you show it, you know, instead of say it and getting rid of as much exposition as you possibly can. And, and so, yeah, I just, I probably do like 20 drafts after that first draft until I think like, okay, we can show this to someone. <laughs> well, within the scenes, um, do you look at the scene and ask questions about your characters within that scene to make sure that scene is complete? How does that work within, you know, the method that you use? With every scene, I always, of course, make sure there's a beginning, middle, and end to my scene. And then I make sure that it's, it needs to be there for the story, that something is happening within that scene that moves the story along. Because if nothing's happening and it's just two people out to lunch and they're just kind of talking about whatever, we don't need it. And so um, I really make sure that, you know, it has those components. And then I make sure that, you know, the, the dialogue is concise within that scene and that we don't, you know, we don't say too much. We show as much as we can. And I make sure the characters are where they need to be and make sure the characters are developing where they should be within that part of the story and within that part of the scene. And then I make sure the scenes are really short. <laughs> and then I keep cutting it and cutting it and try and get that scene to be as short as it can possibly be with still moving the story along. Right, right. That That's a very good strategy. And for those listening in, um, she's talking about what... what others term as a step outline where you detail each one of the scenes within that first act, second act, third act structure, and then you fill in the dialogue afterwards. So uh, for those young filmmakers and writers uh, listening, that's what she's talking about. Um, what, what bit of advice would you give to a younger filmmaker starting out? I would say, um, Go make something. Just start. It, it doesn't matter where you start. There's never a perfect time to start because you're never going to have as much money as you want to have. You're never going to have all the you know pieces and everything that you think you need to have to do something. So you just start with what you have and you go with it and you, you know, you write your script or if you have a partner or something, you sit down and you write it. And I think I think making a schedule and a timeline is the best thing. That's what I always do. I say, I want to make this by this date, which means to fill in from that date back to where I am today. This is what I need to do every week to get there and give yourself some sort of schedule 
to create something and to make something. So, I mean, I think you, you just start and then you, you educate yourself as much as you can, whether it be, um, classes somewhere or reading. There's so much great literature on writing and filmmaking out there. I mean, everything's on the internet. There's so many videos. I can't tell you how much stuff I've learned on YouTube from like 12 year olds on just like how to light something or, you know, you'd be amazed at the information out there, but you just learn as much as you can and you especially be open to feedback because, you know, I mean, in the beginning, we all want to do it right and we all want to do it perfect and we all want to be known to be really good at what we're doing. But the fact of the matter is it takes a lot of time to get good at anything, right? Including filmmaking. So you start where you are, you accept where you are and you just, and you go for it and you keep going. And if you really love it, You'll just want to continue to do it. And as you continue to do it, you'll just become better because you'll you'll keep practicing. But I think the main key to starting out is, you know, making a goal. I'm going to make this short or, you know, I'm going to make whatever I'm making. I'm going to write something, whatever it is that you're going to do. Make it, write it down, make your timeline, make yourself stick to that and you'll have something, you know, and you'll have something tangible that you started with and, and educate yourself and never stop educating yourself because filmmaking always changes, <laughs> you know, what, what they want out there and the way they do it always changes. It's so different, you know, in, in the eyes of everybody that it's everybody's feedback, you know, is, is useful and you never, you never make it. <laughs> That's the other thing too, that I think a lot of people that aren't in filmmaking, they're like, oh, you know, have, has she made it? And you're like, like, you know, you just keep learning. You do it because you love it. And some people will think you made it and some people won't. <laughs> That's just how it is. Exactly. Exactly. Any plans for financing uh, for your next one coming down the pike? Are you thinking about crowdfunding or do you have some approaches that you're working on? So for the features that I'm working with, I do have um, producers and stuff that are taking care of that side of it if it does go into production. Um, and then my own personal projects I don't normally crowdfund, but what I've normally done is, you know, just different money I've made off of previous projects, I tend to put in a pool. Um, I'm still acting, I still do commercials and stuff all the time, so I tend to take a portion of the money I make and I just save it for my next project. I kind of, I mean, I kind of always do my next project, even if I only spend a few thousand on it, I always kind of save it. Like, it's just part of my... It's part of my learning process. I mean, one, you can think, you know, if you make something, you know, you can pay to go to classes too. And, but sometimes it really does help to just, and maybe that month, instead of classes, you're going to, you're going to make something with that money instead. And so I tend to put a little bit away always to continue just my development of my own craft and my own passion projects. So, you know, it just depends on what the project is and how much I need, I think, to, in order to pull it off. And then that's when I'd either go out to crowdfunding or save a little bit, or it's usually a combination of, of different things that pulls the money together to make it happen. And it's always very low budget. I mean, we made Angel on a very low feature film budget that I think everybody, when I originally told them, you know, what we're doing, they just kind of laughed at me. They're like, you're not going to make a feature film. <laughs> and it's amazing what you can do, though. We shot the whole thing at my house like on my property and that saved a ton of money right there, you know, and, um, and we, I mean, you learn to wear a lot of hats and you can save a lot of money and you can, you can make stuff happen and you, and you find people that are passionate about the story you're telling and they'll help you out, you know, and then you help them out on their next project and you can, you can get stuff done. You can make stuff. 
that's the team, the team spirit of filmmaking. So what is a dirty little secret of Hollywood that you wish somebody had told you that you're just like, oh, gosh, if I had known that, that would have saved me so much. Do you have one you can share with us? <laughs> a dirty little secret. Oh, boy. At least that I won't get in trouble for telling. <laughs> um well, you know, one thing I did find interesting, because at UCLA, I mean, I met a lot of name people, right, that um, are very successful. Um, but one thing I learned is not everybody is super filthy rich. <laughs> they might be for a little bit, <laughs> for like uh, like three years. <laughs> but when the show ends or something ends, I mean, people go back, they leave their $7 million home and they go back and live in an apartment until that next job comes along. And so I think that... Um, one thing I, I always thought was, you know, once you're working all the time, you're doing really well and you're making a lot of money. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, it's it's like this, you know, so so you save your money. <laughs> and if you're if you have a really good year, you don't go buy the million dollar home. You go, how long can this last me? Because I may not get another job for the next three years. You know, so um, there's a lot of people that, you know, I met that were, you know, A-list people that have that they disclose their times of when, you know, the show was over. I didn't get another show for five years and we struggled during that time. And I, I had friends that I even watched do that. So I think it's not, it's not like a, you know, you made it and now the residuals just roll in with dough constantly and you're like rich forever. You know, I think that's something that not everybody <laughs> that people think happens, but um, it's not, not always true. <laughs> that is an amazing dirty little secret that I wish, uh, uh, people really realized that it is an up and down roller coaster ride and you will have high years where you bring in a lot of money and then other years that you don't. And, and it's, you have to survive on those low periods. And so it's not just everyone gets rich and can buy an island somewhere. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming in. And all those that want to submit their film to the film festival this year, go to Film Freeway and search on LaFemme International Film Festival or go to lafemme.org. Don't forget to like us on the podcast platforms you're listening to Best and Fest on. And if you want to see the visual component of this, tap into our YouTube channel, LaFemme Film Festival and rate us on iTunes. Sh uh, do you want to shout out your um, socials. So if people have things they want to get to you or reach out to you, they can do so. Sure, sure. So it's rayanne.giles. And that's on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not on there very often. So I think my last post was like three years ago. <laughs> but I'm on Facebook and Instagram actively. And then the um, film that was in La Femme is themovieangel.com. And anyone listening in, go there and, and watch this movie. It's a phenomenal movie. Thank you, Rayanne Giles, for coming on Best in Fest. Oh, thank you for having me so much. <laughs> uh, don't forget, listen to Best in Fest, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.